Revelation chapter 5. I do have the notes in the Bible app, and this is a good week maybe to, to pull that up. I have notes. I even have some quotes in there uh, because I wanted to be sure that you hear my heart correctly on a couple things that are very important. Revelation chapter 5. Beginning at verse 1, it says this, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much. No one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Let me just pause right there. For, for those, just keep your finger right there on the scripture. For those who don't understand, this is, I believe, what we call the title deed to the earth. Essentially, there's going to come a day, and I believe the day is very soon, where the title deed to the earth, that which Jesus has paid for through the shedding of his blood, we know that he's redeemed our souls. But the Bible talks about a time where he will redeem the entire world unto himself. He will judge the unrighteous, the, the devil, the antichrist one day, and he will bring all of us unto himself in this new kingdom that will be established on the earth. Are you trekking with me? I know that was a mouthful. This is going to be that event where Jesus says, I'm cashing it in, I'm opening the scrolls, I'm bringing the earth and everything in it back to myself so I can bring the righteous with me into the new kingdom and I can bring judgment on the unrighteous. That day is coming, friend. This is that moment. He's in heaven. He's looking. Who can open? The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. Verse 6, and behold, I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne verse 8 and when he had taken the scroll the living creatures the elders fell down before the lamb each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints that's you and me friend and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals. You were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, you have made us kings and priests to our God. We shall reign on the earth. Wow. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us through his word today. Lord, I come and I commit this word to you right now. God, I believe that this event is coming very quickly. 
And I, as a church, we as a people, desire to be ready, almighty God. And so I ask you, Lord, to speak to us today. Let the spirit of wisdom and revelation rest upon each and every one. Come on, church, would you help me pray for a great anointing to be released even now. I pray, Lord, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be released all across this room even now. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that perceives what your spirit is speaking even today. I pray for an anointing to come upon me that I would preach under the unction of your Holy Spirit as I ought to. And I bind the works of the enemy. He would seek to distract, to distort, to uproot or confuse your word even as it comes forward. Give us liberty in receiving your word today. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to preach today and probably the next two weeks on communion. And you may look at this passage that we just read and, and wonder, what in the world does that passage have to do with communion? Now, I actually spent about three years preaching every week out of the book of Revelation. I know it's confusing. I know there's a lot of terminology in there. Um, that, that you may not just get at first glance, but let me just give you a picture of what I believe this particular passage is talking about. There's coming a time, as I shared a moment ago, when the Lord is going to begin, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to begin to open the seals and begin to redeem the world back to himself. How many of you have a sense I think Jesus is coming soon. I think we're, I know, I feel, like, I feel like many of us are. In fact, even when you look at the types of movies that are coming in right now, the types of TV shows that are coming in, I think the world even has a sense the end is coming. Now, they may think it's a zombie apocalypse, which I don't. Um, I know my wife mentioned zombies, and there is an interesting reference. I'm not going to go there right now. Come on Thursday. I'm going to do that. But... Um, but it's not going to be a zombie apocalypse that ends the world. It's not going to be a worldwide natural disaster that ends the world. It's not going to be, uh, I don't know, fill in the blank. You guys see these movies all the time. It's not going to be aliens that end the world. No, there is coming a time where Jesus is going to come and he's going to close the, the book. He's going to close it. He's going to end everything that we know as life currently. Now, here's what's interesting. In this scene before the throne, Jesus is about to take the scroll and open the seals. But you'll notice what it says. John is there and he's crying. And the elders and the angels come and say, don't cry. There is one who has prevailed, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now here's what's interesting. Who did he say prevailed? The lion of the tribe of Judah. Everybody say, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He prevailed. And John looks at who they're talking about. And he sees, this is interesting, the lamb that was slain. He doesn't see the lion of the tribe of Judah. He sees a lamb as though it had been slain. And the Bible then says, in fact, look at the verse again. It says... Oh, this, this gets me excited, friend. I hope I can get through this well. 
He looked and he saw the lamb as though it had been saying, having seven horns and seven eyes. These are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. Now, there's different thoughts on this. Again, I don't have time to go into it. Is it the sevenfold spirits of God? Isaiah lists seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Is it that? I tend to believe that what this is talking about is the full and complete work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, and let me just give you a picture. Here's, here's the picture. Let me make it simple for you. There is a revelation of the lion of the tribe of Judah who has prevailed. He has all authority. He has all power. He has all dominion. Why? Because he was the lamb who was slain. He shed his blood for the redemption of man and for the redemption of the earth. And the widespread message, pay attention, of the Holy Spirit in this last day, the sevenfold spirit, the full revelation of the Spirit of God going into all the earth is a revelation of the lamb that was slain. This is just before the opening of the scrolls. I believe that the last great revival that is going to hit the earth is going to be centered on the lion of the tribe of Judah who has prevailed because he's the lamb that was slain. It's going to be a revelation of who Jesus is in his entirety. You see, many of us like to focus on the suffering Christ, and we remember who Jesus was and what he did 2,000 years ago. Remembrance is important. But there's this whole victorious lion of the tribe of Judah. You understand, when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back as a carpenter. He's not coming back as a baby. He's not coming back as, you know, just nice teacher Jesus. No, the Bible describes him in Revelation 19. Fire in his eyes, a sword in his hand. He's riding a white horse all across this land. You guys remember that song? He's, he's coming back victorious. Oh, fire proceeding from his mouth. Oh, my goodness. Jesus is the lion. And he is the lamb. Now, you say, what in the world does that have to do with communion? I believe communion is the perfect expression of the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to take us in a direction that maybe you've never uh, considered, especially in a Protestant church. Now, my, my Catholic brothers and sisters, uh, I was baptized Catholic. I, I wasn't really raised in the Catholic church. I'm a, I'm a denominational mutt, if you, if you want to know my story. I was baptized Catholic. My mom went through a, a divorce. And in that process, ended up being discipled and cared for by a group of Pentecostal women. Uh, and I'm talking like Pentecostal. I'm talking like <clears throat> dress covering your feet, hair in a bun, no makeup, praise God. You ever seen Pentecost like that? We're a Pentecostal church, not that kind of Pentecost though, you understand. <clears throat> so, you know, she encountered the Holy Ghost, she got touched, and then she married my stepdad, who's become dad to me. Well, stepdad has the preference of the Baptist. And so we ended up getting involved in a Baptist church. I was raised in a Baptist church. And so I've had people tell me, you know, you love Pentecost, but you preach the Bible with authority, which is kind of unusual. And yes, yeah, because I'm a denominational mutt. I love the Bible. 
I got that from the Baptist. I, I, I love the Holy Ghost. I got that from my charismatic and my Pentecostal brothers. And, uh, and at the end of the day, I want the full counsel of the Lord. Now, <clears throat> the reason I even raise that is um, I'm going to share with you some ideas. In fact, I, I wrote some of this down. Can I, let's, let's read another verse here. 1 Corinthians 10.16. You're going to see how this revelation comes. 1 Corinthians 10.16. The cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion? Everyone say communion. <clears throat> is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break. Is it not the communion? Say communion. <clears throat> the communion of the body of Christ. Now... Communion, I put this definition in the notes. Every definition that I've read is exactly the same. Every definition means union, what we hold in common. This is the definition of communion. Union, what we hold in common, and partnership. Now, I'm going to dissect those over the next couple weeks. Today, what I want to deal with is the union of communion. Everyone say union of communion. Now, I know as I begin to unfold this, I will get the question, Pastor, do you believe in transubstantiation? I, okay, and do you know what transubstantiation is? Okay, good. <laughs> I will teach you. I put the definition in your notes as well. Transubstantiation is predominantly a Catholic belief. They believe that when they enter into the Mass, that the bread literally transforms into the physical body of Jesus. And they believe that the cup, the wine, literally, not figuratively, not symbolically, it literally transforms into the blood of Jesus. In fact, here's the actual definition of transubstantiation. The miraculous ch change by which the communion elements become the body and blood of Christ while keeping the appearance of bread and wine. Now, the reason I come out with that, this is like the elephant in the room. I was on a call with all of our Hawaii pastors, and somehow this came up, and I began to share with them what the Lord was speaking to me about in the realm of communion. I had a dream at the beginning of the year, and I was sharing with a pastor about a revival that was breaking out because we were receiving communion correctly. And in this dream, he was so excited. He's like, I'm booking you a ticket right now. I'm going to fly you out. You need to share this with my church. And it was one of these things that just became widespread. That was in January of this year. And it caused me to do a deep dive into this topic of communion. Since that time, I've begun to see there's individuals like Lou Engle and Francis Chan. And there's other individuals out there who have also been 
digging into this. God's been dealing with them that God wanted to do something unique and special in this time and season through the receiving of the Lord's Supper, through communion. And so this is what began to pull me into this whole thing. And I'm like, God, you're not just speaking to me. You're speaking to people all across the body of Christ, across many different denominations. And so I began to share some of these ideas. How, hear me on this. Communion is not just remembrance. Most Protestants, in an effort to not be Catholic, have reduced communion, do this in remembrance of me. And it's nothing more. I'm going to remember what Jesus did. Communion is power. It's not just remembrance. Communion is power. I believe that if we receive this the right way, we're going to begin to see miracles break out. We're going to begin to see freedom. We're going to begin to see joy and salvation and all the marks of revival in a way that, church, I don't even think we can begin to wrap our mind around. And as I begin to share some of these ideas, one of them, my pastor, my leader, asked me, Pastor Jacob, do you believe in transubstantiation? <laughs> and I said, no. But if we were to take a sliding scale, and on one side is transubstantiation. There are doctrinal errors. I can go into it, but I'm not going to. We're, there's literally a belief that we crucify Christ afresh, which Hebrews condemns. It cannot be transubstantiation. I, I could give more on that in coming weeks if you're interested, but if... The sliding scale on one end, here's transubstantiation. And on the other side of the scale is remembrance. I feel like most of us have been on one far side or the other. And if this is one side of the scale and this is the other side of the scale, Pastor Jacob falls about right here. I think it has far more power and significance than what we as Protestant brothers and sisters have given it credit. And let me just give you, I'm, I'm going to build a case here, and then we're going to receive this, okay? I believe, in fact, the Bible says that in the last days, 2 Timothy 3, 5, the Apostle Paul warned that one of the things that was going to creep into the end time Antichrist church. Pay attention. This is what Paul warned. He said they would have a form of godliness but deny its power. There is a trend that goes all throughout. Uh, I, I believe in the Holy Ghost, but boy, we don't go in for all that power stuff. I believe in communion, but it's, it's not, you know, no, no, no. It's just remembrance. It's just a symbol. And let me give you, I mean, there's many, uh, there's many examples that I could give you. I believe that baptism, for example, it is declaration. And it's an evidence. It's a sign of what God has done in us. But I also believe there's power in baptism. I believe that you're immersed into and you begin to receive of the character and the nutrients and the virtue of Jesus as you are brought into his body. I believe Trek with me on. I'm giving you examples here. I believe that prayer is a great discipline. It's a wonderful practice. But I believe there is power when we pray. 
It's not just a religious ritual. No, God begins to move as we pray. I believe that church is a wonderful tradition. It's a family value that we should all carry. But I also believe that in the church is power. I believe it's Jesus' means to destroy the works of the enemy. I will build my church. The gates of hell cannot prevail. Are you guys trekking with me? We have so many symbols and pictures. I believe the Bible. Oh, my goodness. You know, the Bible, it's beautiful. There's history. There's poetry. But I believe the Bible is power as well. I believe it's sharper than any two-edged sword. I believe that the power of life and death can be released even through the word of God. These are promises that will transform your life. It's more than just a symbol. And in the same way, I believe communion is more than just remembrance. I believe there's power. There's union. If I'm going to summarize my entire message in one sentence, this is it. Communion is remembrance, and communion is union with Christ. Communion is union with Christ. Everyone say union. I'm breaking a sweat. I'm getting too excited. You know what union is, right? Union, I mean, you've heard like the European Union. These are nations that have come together. We're going we're gonna to agree on, you know, certain political ideas. We're going to agree together. We're going to work together. And we form partnership. You can see a, a work union. We're going we're gonna to work together. We're going to pool resources. We're going to gather around uh, certain ideas. We're going to join together. Marriage. Marriage is a union, Right? My wife and I have become one. Now listen, this is, this is maybe the best example that I could give you in regards to communion. Could you imagine if all I reduced my marriage to, my union, that's what the word communion translates to is union. Could you imagine if I reduced my marriage to only remembrance and symbols? I'm going to look at my wedding ring I'm married. I'm going to look at the pictures of our wedding day. Wow. I'm married. But you understand, the greatest joy of my marriage is not my ring. It's not the pictures. It's not remembering the covenant that we made 15 years ago. The greatest joy that I have is being with this woman. It's union. It's times that we share and we connect and we partner and we love and we laugh. and we It's union, you understand. Why do we reduce communion to remembrance or symbols when at the very core it means union? I feel like we come into the place of worship, and I expect to have encounters with God in worship. I expect to have encounters with God when I'm receiving prayer in an altar. I expect to encounter God through the preaching of the word. Why? We've all been trained to expect encounters in these moments. The Bible has just as much to say about the Lord's Supper as these other topics. But when was the last time we approached the Lord's table and expected to have encounters with God. It's union. Now, most of our theology for communion comes out of 1 Corinthians chapters 10 and 11. And I'm going to summarize these for you. I, I need the Lord's grace to do this. I'm, 
You understand, nobody else is teaching what I'm teaching you today. I, I didn't read somebody else's book and come up with this great idea. I, I'm just, I'm coming out of the Bible. And, and I hope that you see it the way the Lord's been showing it to me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Bible gives an Old Testament reference. Now, most of us have read chapter 11, where the, the Apostle Paul says, That which was given to me, I give to you. And the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke, he gave to his disciples, this is my body. Present application, by the way, this is my body. Do this in remembrance in the same way he took and he gave the cup. And he says, this is the blood. This is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, which I give to you. And it goes into a warning. How many of you in receiving the Lord's Supper have heard a pastor or a teacher or you yourself have read those passages? Okay, probably all of us. If you've ever received the Lord's Supper, chances are a pastor has read that to you. But the Apostle Paul gives an entire chapter giving us some prefaces before he ever gets to that. He begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And he talks about how the disciples or the, uh, the children of Israel, when they came out of captivity, they entered into a form of baptism and communion. That's right. In fact, read it with me together. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. It says, Brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. All of our fathers were under the cloud. And they passed through the sea. They were led by the cloud in the wilderness. They passed through the sea as they left Egypt captivity. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They were baptized. Now watch this. And they ate, verse 3, spiritual food. They drank spiritual drink. They drank the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Now, I need you to trek with me. This is very, very important what I'm about to share with you. He's giving us an example of something that happened in the Old Covenant. These Old Testament believers entered into a form of baptism, and they entered into a form of receiving spiritual food and spiritual drink. And we know he, he continues on in this line of thinking to begin to teach us about communion. So you're seeing, he's giving us an example. There's an Old Testament example of communion. Now, something happens. They were eating and receiving of Christ. Even in the Old Testament, it says that they were eating and drinking of the rock that was Christ. But here's the problem. Verse 6 says they lusted after evil. They, verse 7, were given to idolatry. In verse 8, it says that they were in sexual immorality and died. In verse 9, it says that they gave into temptation and some died. In verse 10, it says that there were those who were complainers. Oh my goodness, do you realize that complaining is lumped in there with sexually immoral and all of this other stuff? So listen, before you go start hating on someone who's got sexual sin in their life, Read the whole list, okay? <laughs> but watch this. Now, these are all important. I'm not trying to make less about sexual sin, but it's like, you know, so much of the body of Christ. Should I go here? We get all uptight about, like, homosexuality. And it's not God's will. It is sin, and it needs to be repented of. But why is it that we give those guys such a hard time 
and we're complaining and gossiping out the other side of our mouth, and you're on the same list of people that God killed. All right, so, <laughs> so listen, it's all sin, and it all must be repented of. This is important, especially for what we're about to do, and I'm going to show you why. Verse 11 says, these are examples to us. Learn from their example. You don't need to die in sin, friend. Learn from their example. You don't need to fall into temptation. God is faithful and he can deliver you, verse 13. And then he says, flee from idolatry. You want to know how you get out of sin? Repent and run. Run away. Run away from it. And then it says this, pay attention. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. This is why. Some of us are trying to wrap our brains around the idea that communion is union with Christ. But most of us understand that when we live in sin, we commune with the devil. Most people believe that. Most people believe, boy, if I open my life to drugs in that world of addiction, it won't be long before that thing grabs me back and I'm held in addiction and that thing's controlling my life. I'm speaking from experience, friend. I was bound in drugs. I was just having a good time. I want to be free. I want to be like the hippies. Next thing I know, I am completely enchained and enslaved and I desperately needed Jesus to set me free. And praise God, he did. We understand that idea. Why is it that we don't have the same expectancy in the same way I can live in sin and open doors and the enemy can influence and bind me? We all know that. Why don't we have the same expectancy when we come to the Lord's table that in the very same way God begins to influence and God begins to touch and God begins to impact? Are you guys trekking with me so far? The Bible says in the next chapter, and you've heard this verse, I'm sure. If you eat or drink in an unworthy manner, you eat or drink judgment to yourself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, there are those who are weak, those who are sick, and many who sleep. Uh, weakness, as it breaks down, is literally like emotional weakness. Sickness is exactly what it sounds like. There are people who receive the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. You say, what is an unworthy manner? You're eating the table of demons and you're eating of the table of the Lord. We're trying to live double lives. That's really what it comes down to. And it says, for this reason, some are weak mentally, sick physically, and even others who sleep. That means they died. And then it says this, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. That's good news for you, friend. Because I know, I know, the minute I start talking about sin, pastor, why are you being so judgmental? I'm not, and I'm not judging anybody. What I'm asking you to do is to judge yourself. That's what I'm asking you to do today. And I'm not doing this because I want to have a perfect church. I'm not doing this because we're like some holier than now. But church, I believe that if we can do this the right way, there is indescribable power. 
You can't even begin to wrap your mind around the way that the Lord desires to to touch and to impact us. But we have to come to this table the right way. Now, that's the negative. You guys got it. You hear the warnings. You say, Pastor, what do I do? Okay, uh, I'm on that list. I'm a complainer. Uh Uh-oh, Pastor, what do I do? Okay, if you're on that list, if you know that there are things that are separating you from God, listen doesn't mean that you need to set up a meeting with me or my wife and let's have counseling and let's, no, 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 no. Jesus, I've blown it. And I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? How do you go to your spouse? How do you go to your friend? How do you go to your parents or your kid when you know that you've done something wrong? I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And you know what? I mean, they may not forgive you, but God God will. You understand, we come to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's the kind of God we serve. So if you're here today and already God's speaking to you about sin, it's okay. Get it right. Jesus, I'm sorry, I blew it. Will you forgive me? And then you turn and you run the other way. Wherever it is that that, that you've came into compromise, whatever it is that trips you up, make changes so you don't go there again. Okay? Now, I want to go through some of the positives here. I can't end on that kind of note because now we're all going to be scared to receive communion. I'm not going to do that. But let me, let me give you some of the benefits. Okay? Because if we're going to have union with Christ, what does that actually mean? I I gave you the benefits. I'm not going to read to you all of the verses, but let me just give you these these benefits. So I want, in fact, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to switch things up a little bit. Ushers, I want you to come. We're going to pass this around. You're not going to eat this yet, but I want you to hold it because I want, wait. I need a couple other ushers. Can we get six to come? Because you're going to take one tray each and you're going to go to different areas. And listen, I want you to pass these trays. I want you to pass these trays. Why? Because part of this is what we share with one another. I'm going to talk about that next week. So, Lord, I bless this communion as a priest of this house. And I ask you, Lord, minister to it, it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take that. Go You may be here today and you say, oh, pastor, I I don't know if I'm worthy to receive this. I want you to take one. Even if you don't share in it in a moment, I want you to take one. Even if you take it home, maybe you got to pray through some stuff with the Lord before you do. And as soon as you guys have gone around to everybody, if you're watching online, um, get communion elements. Get some juice, get some bread, even right there in your home, uh, and you can share in this. As soon as you guys are done, go ahead and bring that back up to me. And in case you're wondering, you don't have to be a formal member of King's Cathedral and chapels in order to receive. If you're a member of the body of Christ, you can receive this with us today. Now, we're going to receive it together in a moment, but I wanted you to hold this because I want you to think about 
what this means to us. Ushers, if I could get that. As you hold these elements, I want you to contemplate this bread and this juice. It's remembrance, but it is also power. It is remembrance, but it is also power. Jesus desires to minister to us. Let me tell you, if you want to hold that bread in your hand, we're not going to eat it just yet. But I want to tell you what the bread represents. The bread represents the presence in the person of Jesus. It represents the bread, uh, the presence in the person of Jesus. In Exodus 25 in verse 30, there was a piece of bread that was placed in the holy place in the temple of worship. This bread was placed there just outside of the most holy place. Bible quiz. Does anybody know what that bread was called? The bread of presence. The bread of presence. Everybody say presence. This was a piece of bread that was placed there, and it was called the bread of presence. But Jesus said, one of the things I love, Jesus, <laughs> it's like they'd have a festival of lights, and Jesus would show up and say, I am the light. They'd have a festival of water, and he'd come and say, I, I am rivers of living. I am the living water. And there was another instance of In fact, he did that seven different times. But one of those instances, he showed up and said, I am the living bread. That's in John chapter 6 and verse 35. I am the living bread. So you understand that when we bless the bread, it is a picture of the very presence of Jesus Christ. In the same way, I have physical union with my wife. In the same way, we have union as brothers and sisters, one with another. We have union with the person and the presence of Jesus. Second of all, bread is deliverance from the slavery of sin. Bread is deliverance from the slavery of sin. Exodus 12, 17, God was about to lead the children of Israel out of captivity into freedom, and he instantly what he called the feast of unleavened bread. This was part of Passover. But Jesus, now this is so cool. I, 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 I want you to see some things that maybe you never have. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, it was during the feast of Passover. It was in remembrance of the exact same season when God brought deliverance to those who were captive. He said, this bread is my body, which is given for you. That's in Matthew 26, and it's in Luke 22. They were remembering what God had done for Israel, but Jesus was saying, I am doing this for you right now. And the reason I'm going through this, and the reason I wanted you to hold this, is because if you're here today, you say, I need deliverance. I'm a slave to sin the way you used to be, Pastor Jacob. As we receive this bread in a moment, 
I want to receive it with faith that Jesus, the same way that you delivered the children of Israel and brought them out of captivity, and Jesus, you said that you would do the very same thing for us today. I'm not just remembering what you've done, but I'm receiving the power of what you've done. Are you guys trekking with me? And here's the, here's the last part of the bread, and then we'll receive it together. There is bread. Bread number three is God's provision for our daily needs. God, bread is God's provision for our daily needs. Matthew 6, 11, and we were instructed to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, I'm not going to hang on that because I literally spent the last four weeks talking about God's provision. But I want you to understand the bread is a picture of God's faithfulness in his provision for us. This is crazy. You, some of you are going to think that I'm nuts, and, and that's fine. I'm praying that God give us wisdom and revelation in this. I believe you can eat this little cracker. And God release financial provision in your life. You say, you're insane, Pastor Jacob. I believe the Bible. It is insane and it makes no sense in the natural. But if God is our provider, give us our daily bread. Jesus, you are the bread. He's going to provide for you. In the same way you eat this wafer. He's going to supply your every need. Are you getting it? Take this bread and hold it reverently in your hand. Jesus, on the night that you were betrayed, your word says that you took bread and you distributed to your disciples. We've done the very same thing here today. And you said to this, is my body. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Your body was broken. We remember your great sacrifice. But I ask, Lord, that if there are those within the sound of my voice who have not yet received what you purchased through your broken body, your deliverance, your very presence, the person of Jesus, your provision, your care for our every need, if we have not received what you have made available, even as we receive this bread into our physical body, may we receive that which you have made available to us. Break this bread right now. It represents his broken body. I bless this bread. It is communion. It is union with the Lord. You may take the bread.
The Bible says when they had finished eating, they took the cup. Let me explain to you some of the benefits of the cup. There is, first of all, forgiveness in the blood of Jesus. There is forgiveness. Everybody say forgiveness. Matthew 26, 28, this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, which is shed for the remission, for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, I ask even now, even as I shared the warnings that you gave us in Scripture, we don't want to receive this in an unworthy manner. And I'm asking, Lord, that if there are those here who need forgiveness, you've done it through the shedding of your blood. And I ask you to forgive us. Come on, can, can I just ask you to pray with me right out loud right now? Pray, dear Jesus, forgive me. I've fallen short. Forgive me. Wash my sin by your precious blood. Cleanse me whiter than snow and help me to live a life that honors you be my savior the lord of my life and my very best friend in jesus name amen there's forgiveness in the blood say forgiveness jesus is willing and able to forgive you of all unrighteousness You've not sinned too greatly. If God could redeem a drug addict like me, we could go around. In fact, next week, we're going to share some testimonies. You would not believe how God has redeemed some of the men and women of God who are sitting right around you. You've not done anything to go too far. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of our God. Nothing. There is justification in the blood. That's a big word, justification. It means a legal declaration of your innocence. There's going to be a day where you're going to stand before God Almighty in that great white throne, and he's going to look it down at you. He's going to open books, recounting your life, all the things that you did, the things that you said, the way that you gave. Every aspect of your life is going to be detailed. And at the end of the reading of those books, the Lord is going to look at you and either say, enter in, you are good, you are faithful, you are my servant. Or he will say, depart from me, I don't know you. The Bible says because of the blood of Jesus we have been justified. It's a legal declaration that you are not guilty. I want you to tell your neighbor, you're not guilty. If you prayed that prayer that we just went through a moment ago and you meant it with your heart, you are not guilty in the eyes of God. That's good news, friend. If you today were to stand before God Almighty, you're not guilty. There is justification. Here's a powerful one. There is healing in the blood of Jesus. There is healing. Everyone say healing. Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. Wounded and bruised. Wounded, he bled outwardly for our physical healing. He was bruised. That's internal bleeding. He did that for every 
internal wound. You've got bruising of the heart. You've got emotional wounds. Jesus' blood was shed externally and internally to bring you healing. I'm sharing this because it's not just remembrance what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. It is that. But I believe we can drink of the cup. And in that moment, God began to heal broken places of our heart. That God literally began to heal our physical body. I believe for that. We are made holy by the blood. He's actually going to help you to walk this thing out. You don't just pray a prayer. You don't have to, you know, man, I sin every day. I sin every week. I got to get right every Sunday. No, he's going to empower you to live holy. You're going to look more and more like Jesus as we go along with him. And here's the last one. We are redeemed and we are set free by the blood of Jesus. Worship team, would you come as we prepare to receive the cup? If you would peel back this next layer. The Bible says that on the same night that he was betrayed, he took the cup after they had eaten and said, this is the blood of a new covenant. It's no longer through the shed blood of goats and bulls, but a one-time sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I want you to see it today. I know I've taken a little extra time in in the message, but guys, I believe this is going to be a means by which the Lord releases his presence in a new way in our lives. And I want you to think through this as we are about to receive this. Do you need forgiveness? Do you need healing? Are you you believing for God to make you more holy? Do you know that you've been redeemed? Do you need freedom in your life? There is power in the precious blood of Jesus. He is worthy. He has prevailed. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Hold that cup reverently in your hand. Lord, I thank you for your shed blood. We remember your incredible sacrifice. And we thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done, all that you've made available to every single one of us. Lord, as we receive this today, I stand on your word that says in your blood there's forgiveness, there's justification, There's healing, healing for our soul, healing for our body. We're made holy. We're redeemed and we're set free because of what you've done. And God, I'm asking over every man, woman, and child, if we lack in any area, would you minister this to us today? It's remembrance and it's power. I bless this cup. It's communion. It is union with you, Lord. We receive it now. You may take the cup.